imagine you're a German in no man's land and a woman <laughs> steps up, you shoot her, and she just blocks the bullet with a bracelet. You pull out the machine gun and you fire and she can just stand there with the shield taking the bullets. How does no one of the Germans go, what is this? Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Wonder Woman. We're back! <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Can you do your admin? Yes. I would do it with a smile on my face. He's not um, smiling. <laughs> um, he laughed without smiling. <laughs> And we're off topic already. Admin! Uh, the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com, has air all the previous episodes on there. Um, and Twitter, at the Story Toolkit. Um, get in touch with us through either of those. Thank you to people that have been getting in touch. We've now got a big long list of uh, things I have to force Bass to watch. Yeah. So we're booked up now until 2019. Are we? No, we're not. No. At all. That, um, that scared me for a minute. But uh, no, we have had stuff suggested that actually we hadn't heard of. Yeah, there's stuff that I, I have to watch that I have heard of. <laughs> so that's we'll lower it. down the list. We'll get into it. We'll get into um, it. But yeah, keep keep the suggestions coming. Keep yeah. getting in touch. Um, and uh, yeah, listen, enjoy. Let's do it. Okay, so Wonder Woman. Uh, I saw Wonder Woman. You haven't seen Wonder Woman. I haven't seen Wonder Woman, and here is why. Because it was not good. Um, <laughs> I went to see Wonder Woman. I was so excited for it. Um, I went to see it with uh, Stu and Jason, um, and we, the three of us, were just so excited. My lock screen is a one is a Wonder Woman picture drawn by Adam Hughes, artist extraordinaire. Um, he's he he did all these wonder, great Wonder Woman covers, and so he did a nice one. And I've got that as my lock screen. And I remember we got, went to the cinema, and I was going, you know, her theme tune. And I was like, I can't wait for Wonder Woman. I'm so looking forward to it. She was like my favorite thing in Batman v Superman. Come on, oh, it's not good. Because what happened? I tell you how crestfallen I got. I went in to watch the film, and about four minutes into the film, I'm like, I could literally. I'm so bored. I'm go- I'm tempted to get up, go into the lobby of the cinema, turn on my phone, check my Twitter, and come back in fifteen minutes because I know exactly how long this preamble of exposition is going to last and I know I don't need to hear any of it because they will repeat it again and again and again and it it was just and I, I remember sat, sitting there in the thing and I didn't know if Stu or Jason were enjoying it turns out Stu fell asleep um <laughs> Uh, oh, but geez. yeah, seriously. But um, I know, but I know a lot of people really, really love Wonder Woman. Uh, but um, I, I, I was just sitting there, and I was just like, I'm so bored. I don't want to get up. I don't want to ruin it for other people. I'm really bored. Finally, some stuff started happening. Um, it's a real shame that Chris Pine is kind of the best thing in the film. Um, you know, a secondary character shouldn't be 
better than the main character. Yeah. But he he comes in and he brings with him sort of the central plot of the story, and so it starts to kick up a notch and it gets there. And there are some really lovely little moments that are very funny, particularly the bits in London and stuff. That there are a lot of fun. It's it's not that it doesn't have its charm or that it doesn't have some fun to it. But I'm watching it and I just kept being thrown out of the film by essentially what were cliches from like 1990s superhero films and early 2000s superhero films. I've just, I've seen this so many times before. It, it almost felt like watching um, like a Harry Potter film or something. It was just like, it, it was, it was that kind of, that kind of writing for children, but not well, you know, the way Pixar writes for children is amazing. You watch that and you just go, wow. But this was like that kind of like that Harry Potter vibe of, well, this is for kids and kids will like this, but you're not kind of going to because it's so on the nose and it's so uh, repetitive. And I was just like, uh, this didn't need to be this way. So I was very disappointed with the film. Uh, I'm sad to say. I was really looking forward to it. But we're going to break down, I say we, you're going to break yeah. down and I'm going to ask suitable yeah. questions. Yeah, like you asked me if you thought it was worth watching and I couldn't bring myself to say even, you know, just so that you could be in on the, like this, aware of what's, yeah. what's, what's the film is. I just, I don't think it's worth the time. This is where I was. Um, as I've said before in the, um, in previous DC uh, podcasts, um, I'm not really into that world. I'm, mm. I'm not. I don't really get excited um, by it, but I was excited for this. Yeah, I, I, I was very, very keen for it to be yeah, good. So was I. I was um, so exhilarated for and it. And I think it was because she was because she was great in Batman Superman. I actually I went to see it with Stu and Jay, and I didn't go see it with Matt Angler. So I didn't go see it with him because I was so convinced I was going to love it. I would see it twice. Oh really? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's let's start getting into it. Um, just give us a brief yeah. breakdown of of the plot. Oh, okay. Um, as best you can. Okay. So the 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 plot is um, it opens with um, Wonder Woman after the battle at the end of Batman v Superman. She's gone to the Louvre in Paris, and Bruce Wayne has sent her all the materials that he got from Lex, the photo, everything. The physical photos and stuff. There's yeah. like a whole box of things. And he sends it to her. And there's a voiceover narration of her going, um, I always, um, what did she say? I always thought you could save the world. And you know, I, and if you remember, she said this in the um, Batman v Superman. She's like, you know, Batman has to go, men are still good. You know, yeah. like she's kind of disillusioned with everything. And then in the voiceover narration, she basically says, I'm going to tell you why. Okay. And then um, it cuts back to her on Themyscira, which is the island of the Amazons. And she is running around on the island. And it's quite cool. They make a point that she's the only child on the island. Right. Because the Amazons are all sort of immortal. They're not, they don't, there's no kids, obviously. They're all women. Yeah. They're immortal women. There's no children. So she's the only child on the island and she's fashioned out of clay, which we don't see for some strange reason. Um, but... Uh, they say that she was fashioned from clay and she's the only kid and that's kind of cute and she's running around and all that stuff uh, um, uh, sorry just a little diversion there was one bit I was I was watching when they opened with Themyscira and I my jaw dropped because I, I th one thought surely CGI is better than this this is some of the worst screen screening I've ever seen and two am I watching Percy Jackson 
I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was just like, really? You're opening with this? This does not look good. How did this scene not get cut? Like, it looks bad. But anyway. So, anyway. But the, the, the crazy thing is, it's like not all of the... Like, there's certain shots of Themyscira where they clearly did green screen as, like, establishing shots. Yeah. And then there's other shots where they must have filmed it on a Greek island or something. And they're like, oh, those ones did not... Those did not come out well. Um, and Robin Wright is on the island for some reason. I don't know her character's name. I'm sorry. I really don't. I, she's just Robin Wright. Uh, and she does a better Israeli accent than Gal Gadot somehow. I don't know how that's possible. But she's that good, Robin Wright? Anyway, so she's so Robin Wright's on the island. She's amazing. Um, because she's Robin Wright. <laughs> How's the cards on? Uh, and the kid's running around. And uh, then the mother, Hippolyta, um, starts telling... Wonder Woman, Diana, uh, the story of Zeus and the gods and how Zeus made the gods, uh, sorry, Zeus made men and he made uh, the Amazons to guide the men and then Ares would whisper things into the hearts of men so they would go to war and then they had a big war in heaven and Zeus died like severely injuring Ares and Ares vowed that he would return one day and so they have a sword called the God Killer and the whole thing is like there will come a time where Ares will come back and they will use the God Killer to slay Ares and he's te- she's telling that as a bedtime story and you see that in a, another quite bad CGI like spectacle thing and it looks like from 300 okay. you know, but not as good Okay. I don't know how. Anyway, I, 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 I'm sorry. I was really distracted by some of the... Anyway. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I can do this. So then... it. So now we see Diana. And Diana wants to train. And Robin Wright wants to train Diana. But Hippolyta refuses to let her be trained. And so she does secret training. And uh, then they get caught doing secret training. So then they decide to train her out in the open. So then we cut to suddenly she's Gal Gadot now. The kid has grown up. She's training. As they're training, Robin Wright is sort of saying, you expect the battle to be fair. It will not be fair. But and she's about to beat uh, uh, Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman does the thing with the bracelets where it shoots out this huge beam of power. And Wonder Woman is surprised that they can do this. But I think the Amazons are sort of aware that it can. And no one kind of says anything and then she runs away uh i don't know why but she runs away i think she's scared maybe uh she runs away and she goes to the outside of the island where it's all lovely and and the sea and everything and then a plane crashes and that's got chris pine playing steve trevor in it and he's crashed and he's trying to get out of the plane and he can't and it sinks the plane and then she goes under the water and grabs him and takes him out of the plane and saves his life and uh, that's the whole big issue because now there's a man on the island and you have a kind of fun role reversal with the fact that he's on the island of, like he, he normally you would have the thing where the woman is naked in the pool and all that stuff but yeah, he's yeah. the guy who's naked it's quite cute they do the role reversal but there's this wonderful moment where he's dragged in front of them and uh, he won't tell them anything because, you know, he's a soldier. So they put the lasso of truth on him. And it's just like, ask him a question. He goes, and he just spurts out. And he goes, wow, why? <laughs> it's really cute. And it's just like, it's much easier if you just don't fight it. It's like, so they ask him another question like, you know, what are you doing in the war? And he's like, 
I'm a spy <laughs> and he just was oh, this is ridiculous and he's like and Chris this is what I mean like Chris Pye's just joy and then he tells them and so we have a flashback of why he crashed on the island and why he crashed on the island was he was a spy he's an American but he's a spy for British intelligence sorry I'm gonna stop you there we're in another flashback now yes I feel like we're inceptioned flashbacks yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, carry on. So he <laughs> he's uh, he, we're having the flashback now. He is a German spy who's working for no American spy working for British intelligence undercover as a German. Hilariously, in the flashback, he does not do a German accent. Later in the film, we discover Chris Pine as an actor cannot do a German accent outside of a Mel Brooks film. It is hilarious when he tries to do a German accent because it's very bad. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> this. So anyway, it's, it's so cute. So he is, um, he he's undercover, and there's this guy, General uh, Ludendorff, is working with a woman who has this awesome ceramic faceplate mask called Doctor Poison. That is an amazing name. She looks amazing with a ceramic thing, Doctor Poison. When she showed up on screen. I was awake again because yes, that is like, because they had her with the mask and everything. And I'd seen her in the trailers. I'm like, I don't know who she is. I wonder what her name is. And it's like, ah, yes. And he was talking to her. I'm like, uh-huh. Edge of my seat. What's her name? Dr. Poison. I'm like, bravo. <laughs> Little tear. Like, thank you so much. It's World War One. You can call her Dr. Poison. Anyway, so she's Dr. Poison and she's... Just... Did you know Dr. Poison, by the way? I've never heard of her. You've never heard of her. No, I love her. She's amazing. Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Poison is, is building a new poison, surprisingly. Um, and what they, she's come up with... A little on the nose, no? <sighs> I, this is fine. This is fine. This is, this is what we want, okay? I love this. <laughs> uh, so she's built... This, is really, this was a really cool idea. She's built a form of mustard gas that is um, carbon-based not silicon based I think is how they phrase it the idea being that the way a gas mask works is it filters out anything of a certain density right that's Mm. how they work so by making the gas based in the same way uh, as um, as air the gas mask is completely ineffectual against the poison so she's made this poison and it's just horrifying and it just makes things crumble and everything and so Chris Pine steals the book without them noticing and starts walking out her research and starts walking out of the um the camp and then she notices that the book is missing sees chris pine leaving and goes you know get stop him like that and so he steals a plane he flies off bam he crash lands and then the germans who have been following him pass through this fog which it's all dark and foggy and lightning and then they pass through and it's the wonderful picturesque themiscira so then they have a fight with the germans on the beach and I want to call them Nazis because they act and look exactly like Nazis, even though this so is World, World War One. Right. So they have a big fight on the beach, and the Germans lose and die, but they kill, they kill Robin Wright. If I remember, she just dies. It's, uh, yeah. Okay. Continue. She dies. Then one. Then uh, 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 Steve Trevor. He's like, okay, I've got to get back to Matans. The world with this information and Wonder Woman's like well clearly this is because he calls it the war to end all wars which is what the prophecy of Ares said so Wonder Woman's like oh there's clearly Ares behind all this I've got to go stop Ares so she breaks into a temple steals the god killer sword and the shield and 
get Steve, and then they they leave Themyscira, and just they're about to leave, Hippolyta and the other Amazons show up, and they go, mm-hmm, you can go. And so they get on the thing, and they go, and uh, there's a cute little moment in the boat, which is quite nice between um, Steve Trevor and um, Wonder Woman, which is Steve, she's, she's going to sleep, and Steve Trevor goes to sleep away from her and she's like why don't you just sleep next to me it's cold and everything because he's cold and everything so well it's inappropriate for me to sleep next to you because we're not married or anything and she's like forget about that and it's just just this kind of cute little character moments and stuff they get to london uh and in london uh she's there we have all these lovely little moments with her shopping for clothes and like trying to look a certain way it's just lovely and then there's a mugging and there's a great mugging where she saves steve trevor from the muggers you know, they shoot with bullets and she stops the bullets and like and then he punches one of the muggers and hurts his hand doing it. And, you know, proper Harrison Ford type of way. And it's just very cute. And then they go to a meeting with all these generals and um, she doesn't understand why she's not allowed into the meeting. And so she just w- w- walks in with Chris Pine. And the guy giving the meeting, who who is from Harry Potter, by the way, he's one of the characters from Harry Potter, he stops and sees her walking in, and he's just like, oh, like that. And he's talking about, you know, peace, we should have peace in, the, in our time, and we can have a truce with the Germans, and the Germans are thinking about having a truce. She comes in, and... Um, uh, she starts saying it's Ares behind this and she starts doing this and they think she's crazy because she's a woman. But this guy starts listening to her and so he sends uh, Steve Trevor and her on a mission uh, that no one else wants them to do, which is to stop Dr. Poison and find it and stop this Ares and all this stuff. And so then he creates a ragtag bunch of people with very different accents and then they go into World War One, and then you get the scene where they're like going through the trenches and Wonder Woman's like... Uh, what's going on? Why don't we just cross over this trench rather than doing the whole thing? It's like, that's no man's land. No man can cross it. And she's like, I'm not a man. Steps up in front of no man's land, does the slow motion bullet bracelet thing, puts the shield out, the bit that looks amazing in the trailer. Yeah. But when I was watching going, I don't understand why any of this is doing anyone. And also, how are the Germans not reacting to the fact that a woman in Wonder Woman's costume has just stood up on no man's land? They fire at her. K. Yeah. Fine. She stops the bullets and they don't react. They just keep firing and no one stops and goes, <laughs> No one no one's no one's perplexed by the arrival of Wonder Woman. Imagine you're a German in no man's land and a woman <laughs> steps up, you shoot her, and she just blocks the bullet with a bracelet you pull out the machine gun and you fire and she can just stand there with the shield taking the bullets how does no one of the Germans go what is this <laughs> not one of them so anyway so she does that Steve Trevor and his band of heroes they go they take the trench Whoa, they cross no man's land then they get into the village because one woman was upset because there's refugees from the village she goes to liberate the village in the village there is a moment where she flips an armoured truck no one seems amazed by this Steve Trevor tried to protect her from muggers two scenes ago thinks she's crazy she lifted an armoured truck doesn't seem to phase him there's a bit where she jumps through a building and to get a sniper and the building collapses mm. 
But then there's a bit she jumps also. She ju- she has another fight with some other Germans and she just kicks and punches them and they kind of just get hurt. And I'm like, how come they're not atoms? How come they don't just explode? She can lift... Anyway, so, that, so there's some nice fights. The choreography is great. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Then they go to... General Ludendorff and Dr. Poison have a really funny moment where the German officials want to do the truce. And so there's this big ball that's going to be held in a castle somewhere in Europe. And that's where they're going to do the truce. And so because he doesn't want the truce to happen, Ludendorff closes the door and throws in one of the gas bombs that Dr. Poison has made along with one gas mask. They close the door behind them and the German officials rush to struggle and they fight each other for the gas mask as the gas is killing them. And then Dr. Poison goes, the gas mask won't do anything. He goes, yeah, but they don't know that. And they laugh. And I'm like, yeah, that's super villains. That's what I want. <laughs> oh, by the way, Ludendorff hat, Dr. Poison has made a vial of gas that can make Ludendorff super strong. Don't know why. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's the right face. So, anyway, so then they go to the ball and... I feel like I need an intermission. Wonder Woman is convinced that Ludendorff is Ares um, and she was going to kill him there in the ball. Steve Trevor stops her from doing that. Um, then uh, then we get to the end of the film. I can't remember how. It doesn't matter. Then they have the big fight at the end of the film in the airbase where there's a plane that has all of Dr. Poison's things on it. Uh, and she, they're going to fly the plane and they're going to crash the plane somewhere to keep the war going and all that stuff. And Steve Trevor has to pilot the plane into the sky where it can explode in the sky. So that will kill him. In other words, he does the Captain America ending. Really. Um, Wonder Woman convinced Ludendorff is Ares. And if she kills Ares, that will stop everything. She kills Ludendorff. Uh, she has a fight with him. He's super strong. Doesn't matter. She kills him anyway with the sword. The war still keeps going. She doesn't understand why. And Steve Trevor's like, hey, maybe the war isn't due to Ares or any of that stuff. It's just people. At which point you go, but how come you never believed her when she can lift a car above her head? Doesn't matter. So, um, so anyway, so he's like, it's just men. Anyway, I've got to go do this thing with the plane. And then it turns out the guy who was all for peace shows up and he's really Ares. And then she, Steve Trevor gets on the plane and flies the plane into the sky and the plane explodes and he dies doing this and saves people from the plane. Wonder Woman is fighting Ares at this moment and he's going like, you see, I just, I pretended to want peace, but I went around and like you see in the flashbacks that he can whisper to people. And so he's like an invisible ghost going up to Dr. Poison telling her how to make the poison and stuff. Dr. Poison's on the airfield and she doesn't do anything. Um... And then um, Ares has telekinesis for some reason and can fly and he makes swords out of metal and he, he and then he just kind of does and then Wonder Woman gets annoyed and so he's trapped her under metal and then she just flies up and uses the lightning bracelets to kill him because it turns out that the sword isn't the god killer she's the god killer and um, he dies Ares and she wins and then she goes back to them Skira. And then we cut back to her in the Louvre, and she goes, "I now because uh, uh, Steve Trevor before he dies, he tells her that he loves her and that she he can win she can win the he can win the war, but she can save the world." Yeah. So he he tells her he loves her, so she loved him, and she goes, "Well, I realize that love will save the world." And then she jumps, and it's like the theme music credits. That's the film. Okay. I'm, I've I I uh, 
Anyway. There was... <clears throat> okay. <laughs> that was detailed. It was detailed, wasn't it? That took <laughs> quite some time. It did. Uh, but that's going to pay off now because we're going to break. Yeah. Um, you you want to break down exactly what doesn't yeah. work in that. Okay, so let's talk about exposition. Okay, so you can... You made the... <laughs> there's four prologues. You made the point that there's like there's four prologues. There's her in the Louvre. Then there's the Themyscira running around. Uh, there's the Zeus story. And then there's Steve Trevor's flashback. There's yeah. these four different prologues. And what's more is, I'm as I was explaining the story, like, I'm constantly having to go, uh, he turns out to be Irish. She's not the god killer. There's all these expositional facts that keep showing up, but they don't mean anything. They're not joined together in any sort of meaningful I way. I think you, lose, you, you use the phrase, then you find out. Yeah, then this quite happens. Quite a lot during... Then this happens. Then that happens. And yeah. On and on it goes. And it has, as I say... The exposition in the film is really badly handled, and it dr- sucks the film out of any real interest of talking about it or re- even trying to retell it, listening to it. Um, I mean, it's just it, th- there's certain little side points where they're not doing exposition that are fun, and then everything else is just constant exposition of how they get from one scene to the next to the other scene why the things that they're doing matter, and I can't even remember some of why they're doing the things. Because when you do that kind of constant exposition, your mind shuts off. Because you realise you don't need to be there. You don't need to pay attention, because if you miss something, they'll explain it again. Right? And they're constantly explaining things. And there's all these other little facts that don't gel together, like... like um. As I was telling the story, I'm like, I, I remember that at this point they show Ludendorff does the strength potion. But I'm like, but if I tell Luke this now, it doesn't make any sense to him. Like, as I'm giving you the story, I had to cut things out of the story and replace them in other places because you. And then you realise there's no reason to bring them up even at the end. So like, even with Ludendorff, like, oh, I didn't mention he had the super strong serum, but it doesn't matter that he has it anyway. There's no reason for it. It's yeah. just so you can have a fight with her at the end. But, as I pointed out earlier, she can fight Germans and they don't die. So, her strength is just constantly changing throughout the film we'll anyway. come back to that we will. later. But, but yeah. the, the point here that I'm trying to make is that the, the exposition in the film of what happens, when it happens, why it happens, none of it really makes a lot of sense. And it's so forgettable because you don't need to pay attention because nothing is being given in any sort of progressive, understandable way. It's just... By the way... I'm really slamming Wonder Woman. I've seen worse films. <laughs> Suicide Squad is worse. Terminator Genesis is far, far worse. It's not the worst film. It's just very disappointing. But, um, so I'm just I trying to... I love that Terminator Genesis is a trigger word for you, by the way. It's come up in conversation off mic a number of times recently, and just for the listeners, like <laughs> the face that he's pulling right now, it's glorious. I really feel we should do a cast on this at some point. No. I will just. I won't get involved. I will just switch the mic on. And just let you go for half an hour. Uh, anyway, okay, let's go. Let's go. So exposition. So it's very bad. Exposition. Um, and you have four prologues. Okay, you have these four different prologues, and that is always a sign of problems, because the whole thing about exposition is exposition. If it's handled badly 
keeps people from getting into the world because there's no world to get into. You can't get into something if you're constantly being told everything about it. You can't have subtext, you can't have discovery, you can't have progression of knowledge because everything's told to you up front. And so when someone has a really bad handling of exposition, it generally indicates there's going to be really bad handlings of turning points to come. That turning points will happen, but they won't really mean anything. She's not the god killer. Oh, sorry, she is the god killer, the sword isn't. So what? He turns out to be Ares. So what? As I was watching the film... The very first scene he's in, where she walks in, the scene I described to you, he's talking about doing peace. She walks into that room of generals, and he stops and looks at her, right? And you're supposed to think it's because she's a woman. And I immediately went, he's Ares. That's the gag. He's Ares. This makes so much sense. He's Ares, he's promoting peace, but actually he's, he's doing war. That's how he gets away with it. Brilliant. I like that. And I sat there, and I watched... And I, I, as I'm watching it, I'm going, maybe I'm wrong, but it makes sense. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's not going to be Ares because they're not setting it up. And then he reveals that he's Ares and you go, you didn't set up any of this. So what happens when he reveals he's Ares? He explains how he's Ares. Right. And so he has to explain now how he was Ares, how he did all those things. But no, there is no setup for it. I'm watching it thinking as a writer... I would totally make him Ares because that could be a really good reveal. But it's not a good reveal if you don't make it mean something. And it doesn't mean anything that he's Ares. And it's not that it's easy to do this. It's actually hard to do this, you know. But it's just, it's one of those things where I'm like, this this is the problem when you don't have, expo- when you don't understand exposition okay. very well. Which just, is a difficult problem to solve. You have these kind of things. Just for record on the Ares thing, can you, yeah. th- can you think of an example where a, a reveal like that is handled very well and you don't need that big... I am your father. Done. <laughs> it's just, there we go, done. it's done. Right? That's what that scene is. That's yeah. the I am your father scene. It, Vader doesn't explain stuff after that. I'm your father, and here's why. Here's how now. it happened. <laughs> um, so it, so it, they don't. That would be a Star Wars scene I'd watch, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain. Uncomfortable. Do you know what the birds and the bees are? <laughs> You're going that detailed? Yes, Luke. We've had many years apart. Uh, I don't know. The, I don't know what you've been told by your uncle you've got Owen. The deep, uncomfortable breathing. Yeah. With. <sighs> By the way, your Uncle Owen, I barely know him. I hate sand. (laughs) Okay. This will only enrich your understanding of me, Luke. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway. um, So, for example, films that do a lot of prologues at the beginning have this kind of problem as well. Like Serenity, which we all liked, had that same problem, which is you have these prologues which open with, there's a voiceover explaining uh, where the earth that was that then turns out to be a teaching lesson by a student by a class thing that then turns out to actually be a dream by river and then river being broken out of prison by simon turns out to be a video being watched by the operative then we get start the film you've got these four pro- prologues and then you've got the bank heist at the beginning which also is a prologue and you've got these constant starts and it's to get, and you can tell with Serenity, it's like to get people who haven't watched the TV series into the world. Yeah. Which is amusing because the TV series didn't do anything like that. The TV series handled exposition so well. But the the film. You can, you can understand at the very least why. Yeah, and, and it's it's kind of, and it's, and it's, 
but it's it's not and it's kind of done in a very nice directorial sense the way they keep blending them but also the river and operative scenes are well done they're not just exposition yeah. they are setting up the inciting incident of the film and they work quite well they're very dramatized well made but uh, the but even that has a stop and start element and then you've got something like the Lord of the Rings which has an enormous prologue it has one prologue or you could say it's lots of small prologues but all joined together. I, I always felt like that was just yeah, it's one. just one enormous prologue, but it covers yeah. like centuries, and it's this huge sweeping thing. And you could cut it, you wouldn't, but you could, right? And but it's very, it does a very important thing, which is sets up Sauron. Yeah, uh, because now you're worried about Sauron coming back. You understand if he gets the ring, that's what will happen. So when you look at the prologues of Wonder Woman, you. Um, you start to notice that th- these four prologues don't work. For example, the first prologue is the Louvre prologue, which is the whole point of that is to explain why she's disillusioned with saving the world. She isn't. That doesn't. They never explain that in the film. Yeah. She's not disillusioned. At the end, she comes to the conclusion that love can save the world back in 1914. So the big question we had at the beginning of the film, which is why has she been away for 100 years? Is an answer. Is never answered. Oh. When you explained no it, exp- I thought she asked herself that question in Paris and then in her remembering of the story, then goes, oh no, I realised. What, what What was she doing for the hundred years? Right. It's never explained at all. And that was sort of the big thing of Batman v Superman and this film. If, if they wanted to go, Batman v Superman didn't happen or let's forget it, fair enough, why put the prologue in? Yeah. So the prologue brings up a question that's never answered. That's... You know, so then, so you you know you're watching the film, looking for an insight into this character of what would cause her to be disillusioned. Yeah. Nothing ever does, and then you go. So then, why has she been away for hundred years? So that's that prologue doesn't work. It it sets up a false expectation that's never gi- given. Then you have the Zeus prologue, which is kind of akin to the Sauron prologue, but we ne- Zeus is just never explained what he can and can't do. So at the end, when he shows up and he's got telekinesis and he's got all these powers... Ares, I mean. Ares, sorry. Ares has all these powers. Okay, and? What we wanted to see at the beginning was if Ares at the height of his power, so we're worried what will happen. Yeah. You see what I mean? Or something like that, but we're not actually explained what Ares is or what he's capable of. This is what Sauron can do. This is Sauron. So this, they kind of did this thing with is Ares even real type of thing. But then, okay, if you're going to do that and you want Ares to show up at the end, do you know what I mean? It's like, is, is it supposed to be Wonder Woman is believing sort of a fairy tale or is there actually Ares? Then it turns out there really is Ares. And you go, well, hold on a minute. This is a world where Superman just appeared. Yeah. So how... It's not consistent even with the previous films and these installments. So it, that so that doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be a world-building thing of, of like explaining the stakes, the villain, all that stuff. It doesn't do that. Then you've got the training montage, which is supposed to show us her becoming Wonder Woman and learning the skills of Wonder Woman, yeah. but she doesn't. She's constantly bamboozled by the ma- by man's world. So what was the point in her studying those things? Robin Wright's teaching her, but Robin Wright dies. So why is Robin Wright even part of this story? What 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 is it that we see in the training montage that we are supposed to get from that, other than she was on the island training? That's a line of dialogue. Why are we given 15 minutes of this? Yeah. What does that show us? What Robin Wright dying 
doesn't isn't like a mentor's death, which spurns her on, and so it's what I, and they set up the bracelets. You imagine that's what it. What you would think the point of the training thing would be a very short montage to show the powers that Wonder Woman has, like yeah. the bracelets. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't show any of those things because she's fighting women didn't you say it set up the beam thing it shows that set up that she has a beam of bracelet the, the bracelets can do a beam thing but they never explain what that means and at the end she can just do it again and it beats Ares and so well, she knew she could do that earlier why didn't she ever try and do it again right um, so it, we don't get that anything from that the, the only prologue where we get something is Steve Trevor's where he finally goes Ludendorff and Dr. Poison Okay, World War One. It's this. It's that. So that prologue gives us something, uh, and that's relevant, and that kind of starts the story. Okay, but you get that after what fifteen minutes, of twenty minutes or something. I don't know how long it was. It felt very long, but it, it, it's uh, and so the way to explain like why I'm saying this is just bad writing, regardless of genre proving your or point. age. Yeah, is imagine this little exercise. Take any of those prologues and tell the story with only that prologue. You're not allowed to use the others. So, let's work backwards. Steve Trevor's prologue. You tell it from Steve Trevor's point of view. You open with Steve Trevor working into a German naval base. A uh, German uh, base. He discovers Dr. Poison's thing. He steals the plane. He flies the plane. He's flying through the air. They're chasing after him. They shoot him down or whatever. His his compass is going weird. There's this weird fog. He goes, ah, into the fog. Comes out of the fog. And it's a beautiful tropical island. So what? He crashes into the sea. Huh? And he's trying to get out of the thing. He can't. The thing isn't working. He's sinking, sinking, sinking. And as he sinks, he looks up from under the water. And a woman... He comes in and saves him. And he gets dragged out and he's coughing and spluttering and he's lying, filled with women. He passes out. He wakes up and then they, he's like, then they do the lasso. And then you do it from that point of view. So now, all the scenes you wanted to show of what Themyscira is like, you can now show with Steve Trevor because Steve Trevor has given the audience a reason to want to know where he is. Yeah. And when the Germans come in, you can pay off everything he's seen because now when the Germans come in, you go, hold on, not only are these women like these Amazons, they're living in this tropical world and he doesn't really believe that they're super strong or anything like that. The Germans show up and they can kill them. And he's like, uh, I'm on an island of warrior women. What What is going on, right? And so then you have this thing of, you have a character who's actively motivated to try and find out what's going on in this in, in this thing. And then he's like, well, you guys can come back and help, you know? I'm instantly more excited by this story It's just much more interesting, sudden, right? I'm like, so surely he's, he's like, we're going to win the war. Come with me. Immediately the story opens up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's just one way of doing it. Yeah. The other one, from her training point of view. Yeah. Okay, so what is Wonder Woman? There's the whole thing about Hippolyta doesn't want to train her. Robin Wright feels she has to train her. She's the god killer. All this stuff, right? Yeah. She's fashioned from clay. Why don't we see the whole thing of Hippolyta building Diana? Okay, she builds Diana, and the whole purpose of her is you are the god killer. We're, this whole island is going to train you to kill Ares. Okay? And so now, you immediately realise the huge problem with Themyscira. Because I have to start rewriting Themyscira to make this prologue work. Yeah. There's nothing here. 
So immediately you start making choices of what is happening to Wonder Woman that it makes it the best or worst possible time for Steve Trevor to land on the island. Yeah. Steve Trevor's the inciting incident. It radically upsets the balance of her life. What is the balance? What does that happen? So one way, she is the God Killer. She knows this. She desperately wants to go out and do the God Killer thing. Or she's not the God Killer. She doesn't know that at all. It's yeah. all a secret. She wants off the island. That's what they went with in the film. So let's try this. She wants off the island. She wants to do things. Hippolyta's very protective. No, no, no. We're not doing these things. Okay. But they explore man's world. So the Amazons come back and Wonder Woman wants to go past the fog. She wants to get out past the mosquito. She wants to do this thing. And her mother won't let her. Her mother won't let her. Robin Wright won't t- train her. No one will. So you've got this character who's on this island. It's beautiful tropical island. There's all these women training. There's all these books to read and all this stuff. But it's her prison. She's not allowed off it. And she's not allowed to train. It's a prison. And that's when finally Steve Trevor comes landing. And now you've got a Wonder Woman who wants to do anything to get off the island. Anything to get off the island. And so now she's motivated in those scenes. She's not like, oh, about Ares or about this. Like, yeah, that can be her excuse. But what she really wants is, I want off the island. You're my ticket off the island. Because they're not going to keep you here. How do, you know, I'm going to go with you. And he's like, well... There's this war, and they're like, well, we don't want to be involved in the war. She's like, well, I will go fight the war. I will do the god-killer thing. I will do the thing. And she just wants out the island. And when she gets off the island, and then she's in man's world, it's World War One. Yeah. It's suffragettes. And so suddenly she's faced with a worse world. So all the things they were saying, you know, you don't want to leave the island, the island. Yeah. Like, now she's homesick. You know, you can do this thing. That could be somewhat interesting. But that, again, is not really about Dr. Poison or anything. Anyway. Then you've got the Zeus prologue. You open with the Zeus story thing. Okay, so now the whole film is going to be about Zeus. And again, you have to rewrite Zeus. Ares. Ares. <laughs> Jeez, I can't even get the names right. I can't be bothered to go through Ares. Anyway, you'd have to rewrite that. The other one, and this one I think works. This is my, my favourite one. Is the Louvre prologue. Imagine you tell it from the Louvre prologue. First of all, why the Louvre? Why is she in the Louvre in Paris? How about this? The whole point of it is it opens with her after Batman v Superman telling us why she didn't show up for a hundred years. You do it as a television interview with Lois Lane. And so that's the opening of the thing. She's on a big TV interview interviewed by Amy Adams' Lois Lane after the Doomsday fight. Superman is dead and she says to her where have you been for a hundred years? And you've already got Robin Wright in the film so you're Princess Bride it. And you cut back and forth. Whenever World War One gets boring, cut back to the interview. And you go back and forth. And the interview is Wonder Woman explaining why she got disillusioned with saving the world. And every time you cut back, and now you want to have that scene of No Man's Land, but you don't know how to contextualize it? You don't have to. You ha- you just cut back. You do the Peter Falk thing. This is getting too much for you. I won't get, you, know? you, just, you just keep going back and forth. And then not only that, you can do things where she can have asides with Lois and you can chronicle the hundred years of women's rights through that character in a way you can't possibly do if you said it in real time yeah. in that thing. So you can focus mostly on Dr. Poison and Ludendorff, but then you've also got the interesting thing of Amy Adams' character, Lois Lane, will have researched this. 
So why wasn't Wonder Woman in the history books? Yeah. So now you've got this whole thing of what has what has Wonder Woman been up to? What did she do in World War One? Why don't we know? And now there's a very interesting sort of framing mystery around the film that lets you go whenever the action is going in a certain direction. Oh, it's getting boring. Or you're going, oh, we've got this boring scene that isn't working. I can't get from scene A to scene B. Anytime that happens, you can cut back and you've got a dramatized storyline. It's not just, oh, the exposition. It's dramatized. Peter Falk and the kid have a storyline in Princess Bride, which is the grandfather is trying to make his son feel better. Yeah. Right? That's the point of that thing. It's a little love it's like a little um family love story between the grandfather and the son. In this point, it's Amy Adams's character, Lois Lane, is trying being to being a reporter. Is being a reporter. She's yeah. solving a mystery. So now you have two things that you can play with that you can Anyway. But do you see what I mean? Yes. As soon as you go like, okay, I'm not gonna just give you everything up front, you now have scenes to build up to and you can pay off. Well let's talk about that sort of building up and the absence of it in the movie and talk about what you thought of the, the writing process so the writing process is unfortunately quite clearly uh, something that's happening more and more which is the film is being filmed before the script is done and I don't mean they're just rewriting the film as uh, as, as things are happening because that, that's a typical thing, you know, production starts uh, and there's certain things that need rewrites like dialogue or whatever. But I mean that the story is being written. So it's one thing to say um, if you have an enormous, you know, like Casablanca, for example, they had the treatment of Casablanca before they started filming, but they didn't have all the dialogue. Yeah. So they're writing the dialogue as they're filming. But the story is done. They know... Rick is going to make the choice that he does and everything, right? With, and it's a treatment. It's not a synopsis. It's a treatment. Do you understand? It's 300 pages. Yeah. It's a novel that they're working from. It's not something they... Oh, this stuff, no. Their treatments they're working from are maybe 10 pages, 15 pages. It's a sketch. They've got a sketch. They've decided we're going to have a fight here. We're going to do this. And the pre-production is it needs to be set up in advance. It costs a lot of money. takes a lot of time. For example, um, just getting the women in shape to do all the Amazon stuff. Mm. So Robin Wright is training. And I watched the film. Robin Wright did not need to do any training for that film. There's no reason for her to have been put through all that pre-production. They could She could have just walked on the set. She's in good shape. Right? A little bit of rehearsal maybe for a couple of stunts. She doesn't even need to do the stunts though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So why was she putting all that pre-production? Why do you do this? Well, because they don't know what they're going to need because they haven't written the story yet. They've got an idea of what the story is. It's going to be set in World War One. Um, there will be this no man's land scene. There will be a fight at the end with the villain. She'll beat the villain. All that kind of stuff. And because it's being written like that, the scenes they will the film they will have filmed a set piece before the scenes surrounding the set piece that contextualize it have been filmed so the film has had to, is basically this, being improvised and then retroactively written this like for example i think you said this the other day the the civil war airport scene yeah. would have been filmed or was filmed before they cast spider-man i reckon 
I'm okay. pretty convinced that's not that that they would have had Spider Man the rights to I know they talked about this. They had the right they, they had um they had Spider Man, the rights to Spider Man up to the wire, it wasn't even certain. There was a point where they weren't sure if they could even have Spider Man. Right. But they'd written the film in such a way that they they had to have him because they went if we wrote if we if we go into any meeting and act like we could do it without Spider Man we will not get Spider-Man. So we have to go with that. But I know that Black Panther was this sort of fallback character that could make it more sure, like Black okay. Panther. But, because the, the, I say I know, go on YouTube. <laughs> the, the writers talk about it. But so, it's a, so it was down to the wire. So uh, they might have had the rights to Spidey, but they wouldn't probably have cast Tom Holland. And Tom Holland definitely didn't do his scenes at the same time as everyone else. Yeah. And the civil, the airport scenes, there are certain scenes on the set, and then there are certain scenes that are pure CGI. And in fact, one of the reasons you know Spider-Man wasn't around is if you watch the trailers for Civil War before they announced Spider-Man was in it, he's not in the airport scenes. Yeah. In any of them. So, I, I don't know the exact production schedule, but it's obvious when you watch these things that characters are constantly being put in certain... They, they come into a scene and they go, we're about to have this set piece come up so here's why we're about to have the set piece the set piece happens then afterwards they go here's why we did that set piece to remind you and what's interesting is that you can you can tell this kind of writing because watch it is there any exposition in the set piece Wonder Woman her set pieces have almost no dialogue the dialogue that they do have is specific to the events that are happening right then and there such as the snipers up there, yeah. this guy's there, that guy's there. Um, we've got to stop the plane. We've got to stop this. It's specific to what's happening in the scene right now. Outside of the set piece, they're constantly expositing where they've been and where they're going. They're constantly saying, we've got to go do this thing. We've got to go do that thing. If we don't do this thing, here are the rules of how that works and how this yeah. works constantly. The political rules, the etiquette rules and cultural rules, everything, like that. And then... Watch other scenes where it's comedy scenes or character scenes. And again, they're these internalized scenes that turn by themselves because those scenes are written and then they need bridging scenes between all these scenes because they don't know the spine of action. They don't know where things are going. And when you write like that, you can't do set up some payoffs because you don't know what you're setting up and you don't know what you're paying off. And so exposition becomes your thing because you have to explain constantly. I'm doing this, then I'm doing this, I'm explaining that, I'm explaining this over and over again. And you end up with inconsistencies and you end up with an audience that is so... Uh, the the irony of it is you're, you are so bewildered with so much constant information but you don't know why you're being told it. Yeah. Or rather you don't understand what's the focal point, why it matters, that you end up not being able to know anything. And uh, I've I, I made this point. Can Wonder Woman fly? I don't know. I don't know the answer. She doesn't fly in Batman v Superman. She doesn't fly in the film. But at the end, she can fly. So can she fly? And I made the point as we were doing the thing about her strength. Yeah. On, on Themyscira, she's not that strong. She seems to be just as strong as anyone else. She's just a strong person. But then she's throwing tanks and, and blocking bullets with machine gun fire. And no one's reacting to this. And then Ludendorff takes a thing that makes him strong. Is he... 
but he doesn't seem that super strong at all. He has trouble holding Germans back against a door. And then Wonder Woman, she can fight some Germans and they just get knocked out, but she can jump and destroy a building. How strong is she? I, I, can't, I don't know what her power set is and what she's capable of. Yeah. And similarly, what is Ares capable of? Ares can teleport across the world in a heartbeat, right? Why does he need a plane? To enact his master plan. He can teleport? Yeah, he can just teleport. He just appears wherever he wants to. So why doesn't he just take one of Dr. Poison's vials and just walk it somewhere? It's just... It's why we've talked about fantasy before, but when you're in a fantasy world, you get the audience to to leap into that world and you need to be like rigorously consistent. Uh, Right, and it's just... um, I mean, I I love this stuff and I I give this stuff a a big wide berth, but I was watching Wonder Woman and there was a... At the end when she flies and shoots the lightning from the bracelets and everything, I'm just like, I honestly don't know what I'm supposed to be watching right now. Like, what is this that's happening? This and and I sat there and I got really disheartened because I just went, this is written in this horrible way that it's so cynical the way it's done because everyone involved in Wonder Woman, Pat, Patty Jenkins, I believe, is the director, and Gal Gadot is the actress, and uh, the writer I think was someone called Alan Heisenberg, I think, Heisen something, I don't know. Anyway, I uh, you can tell people really wanted this to work and they really wanted it to be about something. Patty Jenkins is constantly talking about what she wanted Wonder Woman to be and what she wanted to infuse it with. And she did an independent film, which I've not seen, that did very well. But none of that's in this film. It's just not there. And it's not there because there's no setup. Characters tell you what the theme of the film is supposed to be. But not what the theme of the film it's is. It's not within the turning. It's not expressed. Through. It's not expressed. Yeah. It's just characters say what they want it to be about. It's a, love can save the world. How did love save the world? Love didn't save the world. A woman who was specifically forged to kill a god killed a god. It's not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. Anyway, so it's it doesn't. It's just this huge problem. There's no this kind of writing process that they have is is destroying the blockbuster cinema because <clears throat> there are a couple of examples where people have pulled this off Brad Bird pulled it off with Ghost Protocol he was writing the film as he was making it but then he's Brad Bird right <laughs> and he knew and I love this because he was very smart he understood Brad Bird what he didn't know about his film which was he knew everything except what the hell Cobalt really wants like what's Cobalt's motivation that's the one thing he couldn't work out Cobalt's motivation everything else he knew Cobalt does this then he gets this then he gets this then he gets this okay all that he got why is Cobalt doing it (laughs) what does Cobalt didn't know so what did he do it's a mystery film right all the mysteries up front and you know you don't know why he's doing certain things for certain points so that I can film around it I can just film around that whole thing and I can put it in when I need to. And so, because he didn't know, he had to hold back the exposition. He couldn't have characters just say what they're up to. He had to hold it back and he created a bit of intrigue and mystery out of it. Which is why the whole prison storyline of why Tom Cruise is in prison makes no sense at all. right? But it's all revealed at the very end of the film in the resolution and by that point you've bought it and you've forgot 
that it mattered and it was like okay fine whatever but he had to but he built around it right Men in Black is the other famous one yeah. where you know they didn't <laughs> they had their whole film and they went oh this doesn't work at all well we need to change it so they changed the ending and they went well none of this makes sense and they went wait a minute all the exposition is by two aliens what if we dub it with an alien language and change the subtitles and then we can have it say whatever we want yeah so then they changed the plot because <laughs> they realised only one, only two characters told the plot in the whole film no one else did which is a show sign of again of the exposition how unimportant that stuff is yeah. in a way you just need it there to make sense of why things are happening and motivate characters but characters don't need to constantly say this stuff yeah. they can just say so you have this process of we start fast tracking it we need the film to come out by a certain time it has to come out in this slot because we've booked this slot in the cinemas and blah 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 and so they start filming it and they don't even have a screenplay and they're desperately I mean Lord of the Rings didn't have a screenplay they were rewriting that as they were making it but they had the books book. <laughs> right so they had the books so it's like okay they had as I said with Casablanca right yeah you know, had the 300 page treatment they had, they had a thousand, a, they had page, a thousand treatment. page treatment they were like we can do this we just have to work out how and okay yeah. fine Hobbit they didn't the Hobbit was made exactly the same way P- Peter Jackson had less pre-production than he did for the Lord of the Rings and he didn't have the book right. he had like a very small book there's no way he had enough material which is why you have all these extra added moments and it doesn't work. And it, there's actually a really interesting YouTube uh, video on YouTube, but it's behind the scenes. It's from the DVD yeah. uh, of Peter Jackson saying why the Hobbit films don't work on the Hobbit DVD. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he's Peter Jackson. and he's got a, <laughs> I love it. But he's just going like, yeah, it didn't work because I didn't get any pre-production. I was supposed to carry on directly after Guillermo del Toro left on his schedule. There was a point, they're filming the third film. The reason the third film got pushed back six months, they stopped filming during the third film because Peter Jackson didn't know what was being filmed next. He had no idea. They had to stop. Like, it's, it was a train wreck. And it's like everyone knew it. They couldn't do anything better. So, this kind of writing is so problematic. It's so backwards. Um, and it's it's very much a factory-type industry-type thing of just, like... Crank think, it out, crank it out, crank it out. Do you think the audience is... Because effectively they're doing long form with yeah. these movies. Yeah. The Marvel Universe, this. Yeah. They, at what point will the audience cotton on? Well, I, I, people are moving from cinema, both in the industry and the audiences, are moving from cinema to television. People are less and less interested in going to the cinema and putting up with loud, obnoxious people in the cinema and extortionate prices for two hours in which nothing happens when they could go home and what binge watch on their couch with their loved one's house of cards or whatever yeah. right there's just no point why would you go to cinema house like all that stuff you have on Netflix for less than one cinema ticket yeah right and that's not including the cost of petrol the popcorn blah 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 and if, if two of you go <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean so it's less than that and so how can it compete where well, it has to be spectacle and all this stuff so people are going to television, writers, actors. Every actor wants to be Heisenberg. Every actor wants the Heisenberg role. There's no one that doesn't want to be. If someone will go, here, you can be Heisenberg. They'll be, oh, okay, I'll take that role. <laughs> so every writer wants to write like that. Every actor wants to do that. Every director wants to film that. Every uh, audience member wants to see that kind of stuff. So television, uh, sorry, cinema has now been trying to do this thing called building cinematic universes. And the audiences are already sick of it. They are completely sick of watching films that clearly haven't been 
um, properly vetted in the story department. And the reason is because why would someone go to the cinema, spend all that money, all that time, two hours of film, to watch a film that's going to set up another film that will play out over the course of a decade of their life, probably, if it's six films or something, and you can't even do setups and payoffs in the first film. You can't even understand exposition to do the first film. How are you going to do a good setup and payoff for the tenth film, or the sixth film, or the fifth film? How is that possible? You can't do it in the first. How? So, you know, well, you know, we're watching Attack on Titan at the moment. The world building, like setup and we're talking about setup and payoff over a long period of time. I've been waiting since Babylon Five for something like this, and finally I'm getting it. Someone able to just set up and pay off like that. It's amazing. But, I, you know, The Mummy crashed and burned. That cinematic franchise is not happening. Terminator Genesis, crash and burned. Um, the, uh, what do you call it? Um, not the, um, King Arthur. Yeah. Crash and burn. Uh, the only cinematic universes that the audiences are willing to put up with are Star Wars, um, the uh, Marvel Universe, and Harry Potter, the new Fantastic Beasts, and where to find them. DC is struggling. If it wasn't for the Wonder Woman success of Wonder Woman, the DC universe would be dead. Like it would just be done. Like they, we might get, we will get Justice League, and it will probably be the last one, because there's no. At some point, they would lose so much money. Warner Brothers would just give up on the project. Yeah, but. Audiences don't want to see until Wonder Woman. Audiences have actively gone like, you know what? I'm just not interested in seeing the DC universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is currently doing well, but if the Thanos payoff is bad, that universe is dead. And I honestly think as well, Star Wars is one or two films away from dying. Because if Episode Eight is Ray, I am your father, the audiences is going to check out. Do you know what I mean? Because people, people, by the way, aren't even interested in a Han Solo film. So these cinematic universes, why is that the case? Why is it the case that in the cinema, cinematic universes are almost impossible to generate? It's not money because they get given the money, right? Why is it that audiences won't go see them, whereas they will watch anything on television? They will, they, the appetite for long-form storytelling is enormous. It's not that people don't want long-form cinema. It's that people actually want long-form cinema. And to do it, you actually have to give the writers, here's two years to make your film. Yeah. Not six months. Start filming. So we haven't... You can't... Just thinking about the Infinity War that's to come, right? You know, I'm ragging on Wonder Woman a lot, right? And it's it might seem... I know people really loved it, and it might seem like I'm just trying to bash it, but I really wanted it to be good. But, you know, I was talking about that kind of writing where you can tell because the setups. Uh, the set pieces don't ha- have dialogue that's only contextual inside the set piece and everything yeah. surrounding it is setting it up is um, explaining it not setting it up explaining it that writing is not present in Batman v Superman that kind of writing is not there Batman v Superman spends 90 minutes building up to its fight that's proper writing you may not like the film you may think the film was done badly it's proper writing it's proper motivating the characters. Things have been put into pre-production. The story has been hammered out. And what, what would you expect? They got an Oscar writer, uh, Oscar-winning uh, director-writer team of Ben Affleck and Chris Terrio to work at it. Yeah. 
So everything is building, 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 and then you have the payoff of the big fight between Batman and Superman. You have the payoff. So you have these things. So when I finished Batman and Superman, I was really excited for DC, the DC universe, because I thought, wow, we're going to get payoffs. You know, we're going to go straight to Dark Side. We're going to do this. So that kind of writing isn't present in Batman Superman. Batman it has its problems, and you may not even like the writing of it, but it that that quality is not present. Its problems are outside of that, okay, yeah. is my point. When you look at the Infinity War, honestly, what payoff are you waiting for? What's the payoff that we're waiting for? The big fight between Thanos and them? Yeah. It's not happening in the first film. No. It's happening in the second one. He won't have the Infinity Gauntlet until the second film. The first film will be him getting getting the gauntlet. The gauntlet. Yeah. So what are we looking forward to? What I'm looking forward to is you think, oh, I can't wait to see the scene where he goes up against Doctor Strange and gets the time gem. And he gets the mind gem from Vision. And he gets yeah. the soul gem from wherever it is in Asgard. And he gets the... I can't wait to see him collect the gems. Oh, isn't that going to be great? Yeah. And then I can't wait to see... The Avengers turn the tables and defeat Thanos. And that's it. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that big payoff, which is how... It's essentially a mercy scene. They're at the mercy of Thanos. How do they turn the tables of, on Two Thanos? Two-hour mercy scene. That's what we're waiting on. Yeah. That's what we're waiting to see. If they don't have... And when, it, when I say that's the turning, turning point we're waiting to see, that's the thing we're waiting for. That payoff can't just be, oh, we tricked him and we beat him. It's not enough. Because yeah. that payoff has to pay off 14 films. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? It's not just enough that they beat Thanos. It has to pay off Iron Man and Cap and Thor 1, 2, and 3. You have to pay all those things up. And I'm thinking, what possible way can you beat Thanos that will satisfy that? And I don't think it will. Now, it might satisfy enough that they can keep going. Yeah. But then they have to guess what they're going to do. They're going to start again, building another one. Do you think the audiences will have the temperament and the patience for them to build up to another villain if Thanos isn't amazing? With, yeah, with B heroes as well. B heroes. The, maybe the most exciting heroes they'll have going forward will be Strange yeah. because of Cumberbatch, Black Panther, and Captain Marvel because they look so different from everyone else. You know, you've actually yeah. got—I mean, Wonder Woman uh, is the only other one that you have. So you've got Captain Marvel and Black Panther. There's no one around that like, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you know, so hey, you've got kind of that. That's it. But you see my my point here, which is audiences are getting sick of this type of writing style, and it's a bad writing style, and it's not it's not something that it, it just makes me disheartened because you know I really you know I've written I've written a book on this, and I'm like I think that this this form of the industry is going, and television is going to have to pick it up because this is not going to last. Okay, so this is a good moment just to push to the summary then yeah um what do we take away for our own writing from all of this exposition is that the key yeah you have to exposition if you can't do exposition you can't do setups and payoffs if you can't do setups and payoffs you just got a very boring story and if you're trying to do long form then you've got a very long boring story <laughs> and it's just a huge and so wonder woman like okay people loved it i know people loved it and i know it means something a lot to certain people it's bad, badly written. It's not the worst written film I've ever seen. Obviously, there are far worse films, but what I'm, but the the extent to which I'm laboring into it is not to bash Wonder Woman. It's just like it's, I'm just getting deeper into it as opposed to 
uh, more angry. Yeah, it's like I'm just trying to get into the depths of how this kind of writing comes up and why this shouldn't be a model going forward. You shouldn't model the work on um, model thinking like Wonder Woman was a success in the terms of writing. It wasn't. It will always be remembered fondly for doing well, but it will date very, very quickly, this film. It will date exceedingly quickly, and people will forgive it because they loved it at the time, but it will date, much like how Star Wars has dated the first Star Wars film. Sure. Yeah. People will love it, people will look fondly, but there will come points where people will ridicule it because it's, this is actually quite silly yeah. in a lot of ways. And one of the problems with Wonder Woman is after a while you'll start to go, I can't sit through this again, I can't sit through... This. I mean, it was hard enough to even go through this synopsis, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, there's some lovely scenes in that film, but really, I'm just like, there's no reason for it to be this way. Yeah, and so exposition is just so particularly since the long form is now a thing that's re- people are getting real appetites for and my feeling is like don't try and, and wing it you know the two examples the, the, the examples I gave of people winging it you know it's Brad Bird and Tolkien you know <laughs> so it uh, don't it, it's, it's just one of those things where I, I, I think a really this is why you know I always say like you should do synopses and then treatments before you even try to write the script and one of the things you do I think this is a really useful thing capitalize every point of exposition in your synopsis oh, put it sure. in capitals yeah and it literally like if you introduce a character put their name in capitals yeah. introduce a place put it in capitals in your synopsis you've only got one two pages in your synopsis just look where your exposition is if you've got capitals going constantly throughout, you don't know what is important in your story. Because you see, here's the thing. The audience is told to focus on certain emotions, certain characters, certain turning points. It's not possible to focus on everything because the word focus literally means, <laughs> right? You fo- It's specific. Yeah. So you can't focus on everything because that wouldn't be focus. So you're focusing the audience. If you're constantly got exposition and you're expositing everything, the audience doesn't know what to focus on. And so then when you turn around, as I'm sure some people will probably point out who really liked Wonder Woman will say, you missed this setup. You missed that. You missed that. I'm like, I missed those things because I couldn't see where I'm supposed to put my attention because the exposition is handled badly. Yeah. Not because, um, you know, of anything, any other reason. So it's, it's the, one of those things, like, exposition is so important that it's done properly. And the way you do it properly is you reserve it as much as possible. And you just drip it at, the, at, the, at whenever you can. And you make sure you focus the audience. See, if you focus the audience properly, you know what questions they're asking because you told them to ask those questions, yeah. which then allows you to do the reversals. You can't reverse them if you don't know what they're expecting. So if they're going like, Oh, for in this film, Wonder Woman, they had this whole thing of you're supposed to be expecting Ludendorff to be Ares, right? That's what they wanted you to expect. Yeah. So the reversal is, it's this other guy all along. That's the reversal, right? But you can't pull that off if you don't set up that the other guy is this thing while focusing their attention on Ludendorff. You also make them remember certain things about that character. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to make sure. But if you just have the characters blah, 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 like that, and Ludendorff's doing this thing, and Ludendorff's got super strength, and Dr. Poison, you're going back and forth between these two things. You're going, what? Make Get rid of Ludendorff. Get rid of the superpower stuff. Just make it Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison, she thinks, is Ares. Done. 
Focus on Dr. Poison. She's awesome. She's amazing, in fact. Right? Have her have a payoff. Make her think she's Ares. And then have it be turned out she, there is no Ares. It's all a lie. Or Ares is dark side. You want to build the franchise or whatever. Right? But do you know what I mean? So you have to focus the audience's attention to ask a certain question and look at it a certain way so that you can reverse it. But then when you reverse it, you have to set up in the audience that they knew that those reversals could come because they go, oh, that's why they did the thing. That's why they did that thing and so on. Um, I mean, just because it's on my mind and because it's such a good example, but there is a bit in the second season of Attack on Titan where they do a big reveal and I went, what? And I went back and rewatched season one in the week interim between episodes because I couldn't believe all the setups I'd missed. And they're all there. They're all there. So, like I went, I'm going to start, and I wonder how. I wonder where the setups are. First scene was a setup. <laughs> the very first scene. I'm like, wait, what? Seriously? Just constant. So, but you didn't notice them. Yeah. But they were there, but you just didn't pick up on what they meant because you didn't see it that way. So, and you can only do that if you know when to tell the audience the right thing and you know how to pace them and so. So that's the point. So anyway, so it's unfortunate uh, and it's disheartening because I think it's it's a trend that the that after Civil War, when Civil War trashed Batman v Superman. You see, this is I pointed this out in the Batman v Superman why I was so upset that people savaged it was, you know what. I don't agree, but I'm going to concede it just for the sake of argument. It's a terrible film, right? Let's just go with that. It's a terrible film. Oh, isn't Batman Superman terrible? Fine. But the the nature of how it was done, which is a 90-minute motivational build-up to a specific battle between two heroes to justify the nature of why they're doing these things and to make it about something, etc., 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 that quality of pre-production spending time motivating characters getting into these things not cheating your way out then finding a turning point inside those characters motivations that you've been setting up that the audience didn't pick up on to then get out of your story so that you can turn the mercy scene and look okay that that is the nature of good writing even if we go batman superman didn't make it work yeah that's the nature of what you're trying to do this Let's just make a, make a scene and then explain why characters are doing stuff. So you have Civil War, where you have no spine of action, where the villain stops and starts the film three times. Where you have a film like Wonder Woman, where the characters are constantly explaining why they're doing the thing they're doing because none of it makes sense, and the characters just display deus ex machina powers. Or you have even worse... You have Terminator Genesis, which makes no sense at all, but it's constantly going, don't worry, the next film will make sense out of this, and the characters don't understand why anything's going, or anything like that. That is where the writing is heading in cinema, because audiences are responding to those films, and they're not responding to the others, and that's the shame. It's like the patience that you have for a television series doesn't translate to cinema. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Man, it's good to be back. <laughs> that's so sarcastic that's so, it's just hot isn't it I close the window <laughs> bye bye sorry I didn't like it <laughs>